they actually have, there's no zoning, meaning you could do whatever you want. You could put a used car lot on it. You could do a junkyard on it. You could do- <laughs> Your neighbors would love you. Yeah, you could do anything that you want with the property. Mm-hmm. You could build a home, but it's just some of these rural kind of jurisdictions, they don't really regulate that stuff. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's great to be here once again. I know, I'm excited for this week's conversation. So what's this conversation going to be about? I thought you were going to say it. Oh, I'm going to say it. He tells me it's like this this title, and then he says, I'm going to say it, and then you sit down and you ask me to say it. Okay. I well, wrote I'll it down. Say, I'll say it, Heather. Okay. I'll say it. It's flipping land beyond residential lots. I like it. Okay. And we'll get into what that actually means mm-hmm. a little bit later in the podcast. But first, why don't we talk about what's going on in the world of real estate? I know. So I think that's an interesting segment. We, were, we started doing it like informally. But I've just been kind of keeping track of different real estate stories in the news over the past week. And this is going to come as a huge shock to everybody. There's only been one story. Like, that's oh, the okay. crazy thing. It, there's been one story and it's commercial real estate, like the world's oh, ending. Yes. I don't know if you knew the this or not, ending. but I mean, like commercial real estate is, it's just done. Oh, okay. Yes. It's no longer going to exist. Huh? Right. Yeah. I don't, I, they're going to have to rename it or something because it is, <laughs> it's such bad news that. It's just going to combust. Right. <laughs> so, no, but I think everyone is a little concerned about commercial real estate. And the funny thing is you and I talked about this back in like early days of 2020 because it was a mass exodus of anybody who could leave a workplace building left, right? Mm-hmm. And you think too, I mean, I think everyone kind of jumps to Silicon Valley because it makes sense because high earning potential, right? And now you can work anywhere. And maybe you go back home to the Midwest where your family is because you know you're going to be hunkered down for a while. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to live my dream in Idaho or wherever. And, and you're like, wow, I cannot believe that I can get like this huge house for this itty bitty amount of money. Whereas I was paying, you know, huge amounts of a mortgage or rent or something up there, which leads me to something really quick. Um, do you remember you were telling me yesterday, I think we were in the car, maybe on a walk, but you were talking about how you saw this property and it was like, you were talking about all these different features and it was how much money versus what you could buy here. It, we're in San Diego for the same. Yeah. It was this, this property, this, it was a very nice property. It was 58 acres. It was a, Huge home, maybe 7,000 square feet, mm-hmm. beautiful, had all these car garages, ponds, like big grass lawns, everything like that. Beautiful home. And it was $3.99 million, which is a lot of money. Right. Um, but I was just, the, the reason we were talking about it is if that same property was out here in California, you know, not even at the coast where we're at, right. but well, that you know, maybe, maybe if, even inland a little bit yeah. where there is some land, mm-hmm. it would be at least 10 times that. Right. And uh, so it's crazy. Real estate is all that? about what country. Or what that country? was in Maryland. What state? What, yeah, what Maryland. Country was I didn't that? look it up specifically where mm-hmm. it was in the state, but obviously a rural area to have that much space. But real estate is all about location, and that when when we say that, it's a the value is really dependent upon what the location is. So the premium locations have the premium values, and I think it's always going to be that way. Right. But, right. And also, I guess in, in that sense, when you say premium, meaning. Um, I think it has a lot to do with weather. Well, weather you know? and supply and demand. You know, right. there's certain num- certain amount of supply and the demand is, you know, obviously changes over time. But people generally want to live in the 
you know, spots where the weather's nice and um, there's only a limited amount of that, that t- those type of properties. But, right. But I think that also goes back to the, the whole commercial discussion is that this isn't going to be applicable to every single place. I mean, they're talking big markets, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and to some extent there will, there will be trickle down. The other issue is that with some of these banks having issues and just people who are investors themselves, they're freezing. Mm-hmm. Just and it's not because they don't believe in all these things. It's just they want to sit and see. Okay, like watch it shake out. Yeah, they want to see what happens first. Yeah, get some indications of where things are going. Then they can react and, and make their moves. Yeah, and with the commercial real estate, often you know you buy it, you try to increase the value somehow, you refinance it, you sell it right. You, all these things that that could happen. That if there's no funding for those projects right now, it. You know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that, you know, a lot of those leases are three, five, 10 years, whatever those set things are. We're coming up on three years since the pandemic. People still aren't necessarily going back. No one. Well, I shouldn't say no one, but most people, if given the opportunity to work wherever, want to work from wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's, it's a, you know, once you get used to that lifestyle of not having to go to a, you know, physical central office location and still do your work and still get everything done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough to go back from that. Now, some people thrive on that being around lots of people and being in that central location to get their work done. But there's a lot of people on the other side of that, that, you know, view work as maybe, you know, obviously it's a necessary thing to work and, and to do your job and to make money. Well, and it's everything, a necessary but, thing to make money. Right. Not a necessary thing to work. Right. Yeah. But some people view it as a, as like a social thing mm-hmm. and also the, the work side of things too and combined. But, you know, we like to work from home. We've been doing that for many, many years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're used to it. And I think a lot of other people are kind of getting on board with that. But, but I think it's cool that they're self-aware if you know you like to do that. Right. But, you know, when there's lots of turmoil in specific mm-hmm. markets, like in the commercial market, like the office office buildings in particular are, are starting to be pretty low occupancy in some of these big markets, that just generally means that there's opportunity in the investment world. Now, you you might have to be creative in order to take advantage of that opportunity, but where there's change, there's opportunity. Right. And, you know, maybe the opportunity is repurposing some of those buildings. Yes, yeah, something with like an accept, you know, well, even it could be housing. Right. Repurposing the office buildings into condominiums. Mm-hmm. Something or like something like an experiential situation, something where like, I don't know, something where people want to go in there for fun. Right. Creative people can can really uh, take advantage of those situations and, you know, and make it a win-win for everyone. You know, repurpose a great building that uh, that maybe is kind of falling out of favor mm-hmm. uh, and then make it, you know, a highlight for the community instead of a, you know, a drag down for the community. So. Right. So, I mean, unless you're holding a bunch of real estate uh, or commercial real estate and this is going to be a big issue for you. Don't be so scared. Like this could be opportunities. Right. You know, one thing that comes to mind, and I know we're kind of getting off track a little bit, but repurposing of buildings has kind of always been something in commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the big trends recently has been, you know, all these big box stores like old Kmarts and Sears and things like that. And they're repurposing to different uses, uh, such as storage facilities. Amazon distribution centers. Amazon distribution center. Yeah. So it's taking one thing, changing the use and making it useful again. There's a mall around here in Escondido that they're, was it a Sears? Sears, Sears. yeah. Sears it's going to become mm-hmm. Costco. Mm. And I think that's interesting because I don't, I don't, maybe that's very common elsewhere, but we don't really have any malls that have Costco's attached right. to them. But the funny thing is that, okay, maybe I need to go pick up some whatever. Well, now I'm at the mall. Like, okay, I could run in and get, you know, our daughter's shorts or or whatever 
Um, And then the other thing too, is that I've, a lot of the services that I like hair or something or nails or lashes, whatever are filling uh, mall locations, like that kind of stuff or those independent little salons inside of a big one. So it's taking that creative thinking and saying, okay, we have this mall space because malls are going through the same transition. Mm -hmm. They either need to be really high end. I don't mean like, you know, high end stores in the sense of like, you know, I don't know, Chanel or whatever the high-end ones are. I don't really shop at those, but Pete doesn't let me know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've just never been Kmart's into Kmart's not high-end? Yeah, Kmart's okay. not even Kmart anymore. But they're, the malls are going through the same transition. So they either focus on really, you know, nice stores, and a, but a really good experience, you know, walking around restaurants, all that kind of stuff, or they die. And I think that the traditional commercial buildings are going to need to have the same kind of thing happen. Mm-hmm. Yep, so... Start thinking about those things. There's opportunities all around. And the funny thing too with the land flipping is that once you get, you understand how that works, it's like you can do that with anything. Right. It's just a different asset. Right. So you need to learn it. You'll have to learn commercial, but you'll have all the tools that you need to to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that was it. There was like really nothing else. Right. Nothing major happened. Just a lot mm-hmm. of discussion about the turmoil in the commercial market. Yeah. That's I get what everyone's it. kind of worried about. So I don't know. I think that you just... See how it goes. Yeah. I mean, proje- or predictions, I'm not going to make any because as we've proven over and over again, most predictions don't come true. Right. So have multiple, I, I think the way to safeguard yourself in any of those situations is to have multiple solutions. Be like a cat and like ready to adapt. There we go. Or to bite my feet when I walk by. Okay, sure. Just my the cat, cat. The cat bites your feet? Yeah. Okay. My cat's just a jerk, but whatever. Um, okay. So I want, okay, we're, we should get into the main feature, but first I want to talk about the tale of two agents. I called it that mm, because okay. we talk about agents a lot. You're a broker. I was an agent before. Right. And mm. we talk about how important agents are to our business. Right. And we had like a situation this past couple of weeks or whatever, where we've identified like a, ma- like a really good agent and a really not so good agent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny because people are like, well, how do I find these agents? And we're always like that they're like out themselves either way. Like you will know pretty quickly. You take it away on this one because you're a broker and I'm just a nothing. Now. Okay. You said you were going to tell the story and then you said, okay, now you tell the story. Now you tell the story. Well, <laughs> I mean, like I kind of set it up, but we were in a couple different transactions, right? These were, these were not related transactions or anything. But a lot of times we've talked about how even though you're a broker, when we sell land, you don't represent, you try not to represent mm-hmm. our, our interests, right? right? And so we've learned just in everything like that, if you really want a deal to go through, you say you can represent us. Right. Um, and, uh, we had an, this is a property that we were purchasing. Yeah. Like separate from not land or anything Mm -hmm. related, but, um, and we do, and we talked about that too. We like, we buy duplexes, we bought a hotel. Like we're always looking for interesting pieces of real estate. Yeah. So if if you have any deals, Mm -hmm. please send them our way. Yeah. Like we're interested. Yeah. It's fun. So it's gotta be a deal though. Yeah. Or, or super unique or creative or something. But anyways, so we were, we're trying to purchase this property and we had an agent that was like gung ho. They were, um, I'm trying not to use too much identifiers or whatever. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell okay, the story. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm like struggling the, the on agent, this. You know, on the surface seemed mm-hmm. gung ho, ready to, ready to put a deal together. Mm-hmm. We were ready to put a deal together, you know, told them about what we needed and, and thought we were all on the same page. Mm-hmm. And then. Come, and we were willing and they knew we were like, this was the start of a negotiation. Mm-hmm. Like we don't come in with like the best offer. Right. right. Because. It was a start. Yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, so we thought we were, you know, had, had a shot at getting this deal. Come to find out that the property was then uh, we, we saw we immediately, you know, maybe uh, a, a couple days yeah. or a few days into this negotiation, we saw the property, you know, pop up as pending. 
And uh, this is kind of like a complete shock to us because uh-huh. we were dealing with the listing listing agent on the property. So anyhow, long story short, um, I believe they were using us to leverage another buyer. But <laughs> and I understand, like, like that is something like you can say, okay, because then you can go to a seller and say, I've got this offer, but and it's it's really good. But I bet if I brought in Joe, who you didn't want to deal with, I always use Joe. I feel bad for Joe. Mm-hmm. Joe's a fictionary yes. person, but and that yeah, they were like like trying to use us instead of acting in good faith they mm-hmm. were just trying to make joe so they probably didn't get as good of a deal like the the seller is not going to get as good of a deal as we right. were going to offer right but it would be maybe easier i guess maybe for the agent right so basically from that from that experience mm-hmm. we had it we had a really bad experience right. uh with an agent because they're obviously not the right one for us and probably should have represent my own interest right. in that situation but, but hindsight is twenty twenty, uh-huh. and now i know who that person is and if there's any other dealings in the future i know how to handle it right regardless uh we had another on the flip side of that right. we had another situation um complete opposite of that where so we were dealing with another agent the property we're buying and that agent was excellent that agent did everything that they should have done to actually put the deal together and we got the deal and it was like communication it was like really trying to their goal and and this is what it was was focused on a win-win for everybody and agents need to make money that's the bottom that's that's the reason they're doing it right and that's why we always are like you can represent us because Mm -hmm. we feel like if you're doing all this legwork in certain situations like get it like we know how hard it is showing properties all the time mm-hmm. you know being on call working hard and trying to do everything and this person just kind of went above and beyond like they were truly trying to to get the deal done which is i think the one thing that we always talked about even during like negotiations like when you were doing reos or short sales and stuff it's not emotional no it's about getting the deal done like that's it and when you're working with another agent sometimes you'll feel like oh they're being a jerk or whatever and you have to step back and say like this is emotional for them for some whatever reason right but it doesn't matter because this is it's simply about the numbers and the goal is to get it done yeah it's it's a business deal Mm. and i think there's no reason to bring emotion into the right and it's so it's two things like i mean i started getting squirrely on the first one i just felt off like about what was happening and i think that if you are looking for an agent to represent you in the land you need to trust that gut too like if this person kind of wavers like maybe they don't know it's just it's okay not to go with them mm-hmm. you know it's okay to like keep looking until you find the right one the other side of that is you need to stay focused when you're buying or you're selling is that the goal is to sell want to learn the secret to building a thriving land flipping business head on over to landconquest.com and join over 2000 passionate land flippers leveraging the power of community to scale quickly sign up for free at landconquest.com all right let's get back to the show like the goal is to get it done the goal is to get the deal done Uh and Mm -hmm. also when you're working with buyers if you're buying someone's land right when you're sending it off and stuff don't get wrapped up in like winning Mm -hmm. you know it's about you want to make sure that they're getting a fair deal. You're getting a fair deal. And, but most importantly that you're going to be profitable in this deal. It has to make sense for you. Right. And don't get, it's not, you know, that's why I like kind of almost like that. You don't look at the properties. Cause remember when we went out there and you saw some of them, you're like, you disappeared into the woods. I'm not even joking. I got, we were sitting in the car. I was with the girls and, like looking around and I'm like, okay, he's not coming back. And I couldn't, the phone wasn't working. So I was like, I'm going to get out and go find him. And you came like meandering out of the forest. Like, do you remember the commercial where that guy is doing this? That interview was on CNN or Fox or something. And his daughter bursts in. It was like, I think he was like a South Korean expert or something. 
It was oh, like bossy yeah. pants, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You came out in your element. You had no idea that like however long had disappeared. You were just like, ah, this is a yeah. beautiful piece of land. And I was like, we're not keeping it. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to care. You're like, let's go and you should see this like beautiful room. I was like, I don't care about any of the water features. He's like, oh my gosh. And then the trees, I was like, you can stop. Like, do not let me fall in love with this piece yeah, of land. Yeah, it's good that we're not buying properties around here because I would be a collector. I know. Seriously. Well, I can't. Which actually sell. probably is not a bad thing over the long term because no. asset, the, the value of these properties are going to be going up. Over right. Time, it's but. not like it would be like the worst thing to happen. But I but seriously, you were like, I, I could see you like, oh, we can't sell this one because there's this like little waterfall when the water's perfect. So <laughs> all I would need to tell Heather about is all the wildlife. Yeah, I know. You're, I know you're saying, I think there might be that endangered um, <laughs> lesser toad in the lower there's half. There's a raccoon family down there. Yeah. We can't. What if what would happen to the little raccoons? So, um, okay. So anyways, that agents are super important, but right. they don't find assume, the right ones. Right. The and right don't agents. assume that they're all going to have the same whatever as you, you know, right. and that's cool. Whatever. The main feature, which is land uh, flipping land beyond residential lots. And I think it's kind of a tie in with the discussion on the news, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we've we've kind of gone over a process. Our main focus really is are the residential properties, why? The residential re- recreational properties. Tell There's me the most why. of them. Uh-huh. out there and it's easiest for us to get the deals on those properties mm-hmm. but you should not exclude the potential commercial deals or commercial land deals that is or potential properties that could be residential subdivisions those are also really good ones sometimes too so we've ended up with a number of properties we purchased a number of properties that you know they were included in our mailers and we didn't even really realize it at the time but they came back and found out that they were commercial properties you're like whoa okay and ended up being great deals for us and if you like i can go through a few of those yeah well i want to talk about you said a little bit how like commercial like where you would be um, subdividing it. Yeah, residential okay. subdivision. So, and that is mm-hmm. that is residential, but in the context, it's not like a typical residential we would do. So we would consider that more commercial, even though it's mm-hmm. not necessarily. Yeah. So, because there's commercial, but then there's also commercial zoning. So there's two different things, I guess. I mm-hmm. mean, it's probably not even Yeah, the right and there's term. lots of different types of commercial zoning. It could right. be industrial, it could be retail, it could be mixed use, mm-hmm. all types of different things like that. Didn't we have one once that had no zoning at all? Oh, like, yeah, we've like had lots of properties. intentional no zoning. Well, we've had lots of properties that have no zoning. Some of these rural areas, they actually have, there's no zoning, meaning you could do whatever you want. You could put a used car lot on it. You could do a junkyard on it. You could do... <laughs> Your neighbors would love you. Yeah. You could do anything that you want with the property. Mm-hmm. You could build a home. But it's just some of these rural kind of jurisdictions, they don't really they don't really regulate that stuff. You know, that's kind of a completely foreign concept to those of us living in California because everything is very regulated when it comes mm-hmm. to land use. And a lot of the major metropolitan areas are the same exact way. They have to be. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, if they want their community to to be a desirable community, they've got to put some regulations because, you know, otherwise People there's, will going do be, that. there's going to be junkyards yeah. up and down the street and mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be tough to do anything with that. So, and I think it's interesting because when I was first learning about like, when you were like, there's no zoning, I was like, Oh, great. Okay. So what are they like? What's the, like, I thought it was in the process of being zoned and I didn't really, so I did more research and it, all the land in the U S is actually zoned. That's my understanding. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's right so it's already pre-zoned like it's all been done except for some of these areas no but that's the thing it it's actually zoned with no zoning like that's oh. actually a classification oh, okay. i know see that's what <laughs> okay. that's where well, i got stuck uh-huh. so it's like i thought oh great so they're in the process of zone it doesn't mean that they can't change it but right this second everything is zoned so i thought w- when you first said that to me i was like well that's great pete but like 
when you go to sell it, are they going to then, is that when the zoning kicks in? And no, it's like, it's already zoned. So it's, it is an absolutely foreign concept living in California to think that that's an op, you know, that that's a possibility, but you think about it in some of these places, like you could have, and this would be viable for a lot of people. They would be looking for a piece of land that they could build their house on, but then also run their farm mm-hmm. like, or have a farm stand or I don't know their shop, like, or a car repair place on it. So it's like, you have to think beyond just what you know and what you understand. And don't be afraid to call up and ask, like, what's this mean? Like, mm-hmm. is this truly what I am understanding? Because there's been so many times that you push through that. Me, I would have been like, well, no, they're going to like, they're going to zone it. Like I would have said no to it. So when we're focusing right this second, just on actual commercial. So have we bought any that are commercial zoned? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yep. give us some that we've bought. Yeah. Well, we bought a three acre property one time and it was commercially zoned and it was, there was, um, it was zoned for a number of different uses. Mm-hmm. You know, each of these cities now, generally it's going to be in a city if there's commercial zoning. So there'd be a city and they're in charge of the zoning for that particular place. So you can look up online you know, what the zoning classification is, and then what you can do with that zoning classification. Normally, it's going to be a link to some PDF document that's like 100 pages long, but there's generally a chart in there. It's like a chart or a table, and mm-hmm. say the zoning is C1 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're going to go find that chart, and under C1, it's going to have a list of all the potential uses that it could be for that property. Could be automotive retail, could be hospitality, could be just uh, straight retail could be a cemetery could be a, a crematorium you know it could be <laughs> thank you for it that could be visual like allowed mm. all those type of allowed uses for there now and then you basically have the right to use that property for one of those type of uses so it's generally pretty valuable these commercial properties now i, I should caution you as well though commercial properties are tough to to retail meaning if you're going to try to get top dollar for a property, you're probably going to have to sit on it for a little while, unless this is some super uh, busy, you know, commercial location that everyone has their eye on. But you got to wait for that right buyer to come along. But the same concept does apply like we do for our residential properties. If you price something right, you're going to find a buyer pretty quickly. And you're generally, you know, with commercial, you might have to do a steeper discount in order to find that to force that quick sale. But just just keep that in mind. You know, some of these super high comps that you see may be a little bit unrealistic unless you're willing to sit on that property for a while. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too, is that if you go into it, the, well, the most important thing is if you go into it knowing that, and and maybe someone will say like, well, I, I'm going to sit on this one. And I think mm-hmm. that's viable too. Like if you say some like, okay, if I sit on this for, it could be years though. Yeah. It could be years. You know, think about, think about in your town, your city, have you seen those big signs on, on a commercial piece of property that says available? Right. For, for you know, you could either do a, you know, a ground lease, which, or you could do a sale. You know, some of these ground lease situations are interesting. Basically, you're just leasing the property and getting an underlying payment for it. And someone builds their, you know, structure on top of it. But so there's all kinds of things that you can do with these properties. But Generally, you're going to have to discount them a little bit more in order to force that quick sale if you are interested in a flip. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we did on, on uh, in, in a number of those situations. Do you know what any of these buyers use the properties for? Or do you have any inklings? Uh, you know, one of them that we did, it was a three-acre property. It was zoned, I think it was industrial. And I believe the idea there was to put self-storage. Mm-hmm. 
on that that property because it was zoned for that. Now, I never followed up to see, you know, if they actually did that or if that was just kind of their thought process. But it was a good enough deal that they they jumped on it. Also sold a number of properties that are were residential subdivision type properties. And those were interesting because what we did on those was we hired an engineer to basically do what they call a sketch plan. Mm-hmm. And the sketch plan means that they'll draw up what the subdivision could look like based off of the zoning rules for that particular area. It's not any sort of final design. It's nothing that gets actually submitted to the city or the the municipality, but it is kind of helpful in your marketing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. This is what you could do with this property. You could fit 100 lots on this property, or you could do this with the property. We obviously could take things a step further, and we will probably do that at some point for those longer term hold situations, something that we may be looking for a home run on. Mm -hmm. But uh, generally, that takes more time. And it takes uh, an additional investment, you know, more money for engineers, uh, more money for consultants and people to actually get that from just a concept to something that's an actual approved plan. Right. And then you could either develop that yourself, get the funding to develop it yourself, or you could just sell it to a builder and that's ready to go and then they can move forward with it. But but by doing that whole process, you basically force increase the value of the property. Right. And I mean, with the housing market crunch right now, that would be um, pretty needed. It, it also helps like if, if you're going to sell it to a developer, like then they can jump right in. Mm-hmm. It cuts a lot of that red tape for them. And when you think of the timing, um, you can definitely charge more of a premium. Right. Plus it's approved. So it's not like just a sketch of it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, if you have a pers- uh, piece of property you know, that zone for a residential subdivision where that's an allowed use. Like mm-hmm. you have the right to actually do a residential subdivision there. But there are all kinds of hoops that you are going to need to jump through to, in order to get that approval. Um, it could be, you know, improving the roads around there. It could be extending the utilities. It could be all these different things that they require you to do that may or may not make sense, you know, to actually get it done. Could be too cost prohibitive to even make it work. I think the interesting takeaway from that is that if you're willing to put a little more time into it, you can make more money. And that used to scare me at first, like when you first came to me and you were like, we could do this. And I was like, how much more money, how much more time? And then- Because time is money in this business, isn't it? Right, yeah. And that kind of scared me, but everything scares me, so- don't, <laughs> yeah. don't let that stop yeah, you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely true, Heather. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, there's, there's lots of opportunity with commercial land as well. It's a little bit different space. So you have to kind of, you generally have to, you know, I would, I would at least have discussions with a local commercial right. broker uh, when you're talking about these properties because it's a whole different world than the residential side. Even if, even if you have a great residential land broker you're working mm-hmm. with in a particular area, You'll want to consult with a commercial land broker because it's a different language. I think it is. It yeah. is, and you know, expectations are different, mm-hmm. timelines are different. So you just do a little bit more research before jumping into this. Right. I would say the other thing too right now is that well, we're talking about how this commercial crunch and with the banking issues, lending isn't is there as much as there was. Lending is not there as much as there was. Gosh, it's a little I can't more say. difficult. It's right. still there. But. Right, exactly. So maybe you want to take into account that. And also maybe people aren't looking to do these big projects right now. Boost your land flipping earnings with our new Land Conquest business system. It's designed for efficiency and effectiveness. This cutting edge software tool is your key to success in the land flipping industry. Streamline and automate your operations to scale your business to new heights. 
With our system, you get a customizable website with six professional templates to choose from, up to five dedicated phone numbers, each with their own chosen area codes for creating a trustworthy local presence. And as a bonus, you'll get a $25 credit for SMS and email sends. You'll also get access to our tech team to build any automations or customizations that you want. And not to mention, we've got a great dedicated community to the Land Conquest business system to help us all thrive together. And with every step of the way, you get our 24-7 live chat support. But that's not all. You'll also gain access to our exclusive community to connect and grow with fellow land flippers. Seize the opportunity to transform your business. Visit software.landconquest.com to check out the Land Conquest business system and unlock the next stage of your land flipping success. I think to some extent they are. In certain areas, they are definitely. Right. But they should be because certain places are booming still. Right. So it's re- uh, real estate is always local. Right. And they really should be because there is a housing crunch. Like we need more houses, but then people get scared. You know what I mean? And it cycles through. But if you were going to do one of these projects right now and you know, okay, this might take me three years to get it to the approval point. I don't know. It just depends on the area. Maybe it's a lot quicker or something, but in three years, things could look way different. Yeah, things will. Right. It will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that actually might make sense to do. I also want to talk to you about speaking of kind of the funding kind of not being as readily available People that we're selling even our residential lots to, how what percentage are getting loans? I would say maybe 20 to 30%. It seems like most of the buyers are actually cash. Right. So it's like that. that is a consideration that if lending is harder to, to get, but if you're only talking about 30%, it's not such a big deal. And then the other thing is, I mean, we don't follow them, but I would imagine that there's also a percentage of them that are just there. It's like a long-term goal or a long-term plan. Like we're going to build our dream home here or we're going to use it for recreational use or we're going to jump right in and and maybe that 30% is also going to go straight into a home or a, a mobile home loan or something like that. So that's kind of lined up in there. Like, I don't know if, if a huge percentage of them are desperate for lending to build their houses right now. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, um, with the land, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's as tied to interest rate fluctuations as the red, residential housing market. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we, on the flip side though. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Because like how, you mean when they go to build on build a home? No, or? I mean like it almost seems like a safer bet, the mm. land, because if their money in the bank is inflation's, you know, causing right. it to burn up. Buying the land, it's not like, you know, oh, the whatever the interest rates are rise or have risen and now a quarter of your acre just like burned up into nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. It just melts. Right. It will just, just like, like goes it away. goes into the earth and then it connects condense, to your neighbor condenses. and you're like there goes josie the dairy cow that was on I that used to have 50 quarter. acres now i have 20 right yeah you know what that I mean? doesn't happen no it's just, <laughs> but that's why like when i look at you know when we have a property close i'm like when are we going to reinvest this into it because anytime it's sitting in the bank now I'm yeah nervous. when we sell property you mean yeah. like yeah, what did we've i got, say when, when we have a property close could be okay. a buy or sell okay, yeah. but yeah <laughs> so we we want to keep our cash moving mm-hmm. so that's a good problem to have i mean we want to continuously buy more deals and when we buy a good deal then we've instantly kind of taken a, uh, another step up the the ladder right right because it, it does compound which is funny because again how i said i'm scared of everything i wanted to be i wanted to hoard cash mm-hmm. that was like my safety net now i'm like well yeah might as well just throw it out the window if you know <laughs> lands a much better uh, a much better deal yeah right. uh, okay so anything you wanted to add to the to that to the commercial stuff mm-hmm. well i think that there is a lot of opportunity there I don't know that I would um, specifically do mailers to only commercial properties. And I know that's maybe what some people are considering listening mm-hmm. to this, thinking that there's a 
huge upsides and huge rewards. There is great upside in a lot of those properties, uh, but it's a different business model. And maybe maybe that is a niche that you know resonates with you. But there also is are fewer commercial properties available than the residential properties that we are buying. Right. So, and also maybe you could do, you could say, okay, I'm going to put 10% of my mailer into that. Like mm-hmm. if it's something you want to do. Right. I think that would be reasonable, mm-hmm. but you need to learn about it. You need to understand. I wonder if the zoning codes are the same, like a C1 here is the same as a C1 out there. there no, are there still? It's all different. Every, right. every area has their different designations. So you need to actually learn the local area too. Yeah. And when you have a lead in a particular area, then your research starts, you know, you mm-hmm. want to look up the zoning for that parcel. You go online and then you find out what the zoning classific, you know, the zoning code means in that particular area. You can even call the zoning office and have a discussion with them, see if they know anything about the property right. and can tell you, you know, maybe someone tried to submit for approval for a certain project before. Like they have all that information on the file. But, you know, as soon as you get a, a, a good lead or a good deal going, then that's when your your research starts. And you just want to make sure you know what you're doing before you buy the property. Make sure there's no hidden gas tanks under and that happens, you know, buying an old gas station, right. you're buying a liability in some cases because you've got to take care of those to old gas Mitigate tanks. the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it might look like vacant land to you. And then you call right. them up and they're like, oh, this is not vacant. Oh, you bought that. Good, uh-huh. good. We were, we were waiting for someone uh-huh. to do that. Uh, um, are you going to pay the fine? I'm going to forward yeah. those uh, invoices over to you. Yeah, exactly. Because, and and uh, when will you be starting those mitigation? You know, the right. EPA has been stopping by and you're like, oh. I'm going to give you the EPA contact. Yeah. Uh, that I thought it was. I thought I was buying vacant land. Anyways, that's with anything. That's why you need to do your research. Right. But Horror that's not story, funny. Yeah. I know. Huh? It's not from us. We, Makes me cringe. Yeah. I know, but I, I can feel that that happens. Okay. Let's get into some questions if you are sure. up for it. Okay. We have from Sonia. Okay, well, first of all, these are questions from our land flipping community. Oh, tell us more. Yeah. The, our land flipping community is a place where people that are interested in flipping land, doing this type of business model that we talk about all the time, uh, come to congregate. We have brand new people in there. We have experienced investors making over a million a year. We've got people that fund deals in there. We've got the whole gamut. And also we've got a training program, an extensive training program that will be released in the community very soon. I spent the whole weekend working on it once again. Mm -hmm. I'm probably about, ah, I'd say about overall about 80% done with it. I want to get it completely done before I release it. And it's not going to be a junkie free training program it's it's everything that's up here <laughs> it's gonna be so, a high quality it is a high training co- program a high quality <laughs> <A> training <chunky. laughs> high quality training program and it will absolutely be free i didn't get any pictures of you this weekend working on it i don't think i'll have to check and see it would have been I... sitting right here and this right. is kind of like my makeshift desk right now and then i just ordered him i took the girls we like left the house so that there was no distraction i just ordered him doordash every for his meal so he went downstairs collected his food and got back to work got back to work so i worked all weekend maybe i should take a break at some point but... i told you you needed to because you were like i'm feeling a little i'm like what like <laughs> Just going like, to explode at some yeah, point exactly. here. I'm like, uh, not until you get this done. Yeah. <laughs> soon. No. Coming soon. But yeah. anyhow, please join the community. If you're looking for a link, it's right below this video if you see it on YouTube. If you are listening to this mm-hmm. podcast, just go to turningprofit.com. You'll see a button there and you click through that link to get to our community. So we'd love to see you over there. Okay. Um, now on to the questions okay. that <laughs> were found in our community. Now these, I bring the news. Pete brings the questions and comments so i have no idea what i'm reading okay but sonia says checklist for land or for selling vacant land uh what is my next step after getting a contract signed i do the due diligence on what the land has let me see if i can turn this little oh land has 
and what the comps are in the area. I list the vacant land online right away and hire someone to take pictures and then do take and then do you take phone calls or emails in order to find a buyer? Then when the buyer is interested and send the paperwork to the title company, am I missing a step? Thanks. That was a lot. Uh, well, yes, the steps are a little bit out of order. Mm -hmm. You know, I know everyone has, not everyone, but I know there are some people that teach different methods of, of doing things. Mm -hmm. My process is this. Once we get a property under contract, to purchase it, that is, mm -hmm. then it kicks off a whole process, a whole due diligence process, we call it, which is essentially like we were talking about a little earlier it kicks off our research phase. So, and the research phase is a number of different things. We're finding out about the property. We're calling the city, the county. We're going through a checklist of items there. You're getting pictures. Uh, yes, picture, and that's yeah. the next thing. We yeah. hire a photographer and someone to go walk, walk the property and physically inspect it. Drone photos, drone videos, the whole- We're uh, looking for those drums of oil. Yeah, we're looking for red flags. things that we, Things that we can't see from a satellite image mm -hmm. on our computer screen. So we're, we're just getting confirmation that it's a decent property and trying to envision ourselves as a, as a potential buyer, looking at that property and thinking, would that be a good property? Would that be something that I would want to buy if I was a potential buyer? Another part of the research is uh, sending things to the title company. So we close all of our purchases through a title attorney, escrow, depending on what is standard for the state. And they do a title search on the property looking for things like chain of title issues, inheritance issues. So things like that could, Meaning like, could scuttle the deal. Yeah. Is the person <laughs> that we're buying it from actually the legal owner? Right. Do they have the legal authority to sell this property? Right. So that's obviously important. And if they don't, then they can't insure the property, which means we can't buy it. Other things Wait, like- talk on that too. We So we get title policy. So we're getting insurance- that secures our investment in the property, meaning right. that they're guaranteeing that there's free and clear title that we can then pass on to somebody else. Right. So we actually buy, and, and I, maybe some people don't buy that. Yeah, some people don't. Some people don't buy through a title company or anything, and they just do a, you know, they go to the like seller and they, and they sign the deed over to them and they give them a check. check right. So unless you're doing a, a super small deals, uh, I don't recommend that at all. Even then, uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, because I, there's I a lot of potential issues that come up with land, with inheritance issues and title work and things that need to be corrected during the process. Some can be corrected, some can't. Right. But they also look for things like restrictions on the title or something that's filed against the property, you know, citations, any of that type of stuff would pull up during the title Anything search. Anything strange that you've seen before? Yeah, there's been lots of things. One property we were buying, it was registered as a uh, landfill. You know, we had no <laughs> idea. Obviously, yeah. it looked, just looked like land. Anything, there was nothing there. Um, but there was something back in the 50s that was registered as a, as a landfill. So obviously, they dug big holes, put trash in there and covered it all up. You can't see it now, but it's not something that I would want to buy. So. Well, because we wouldn't want to put a house on that. Like, No, you couldn't. Right. Yeah. We couldn't. But like, you know what I mean? Like, let's say theoretically they would let you. Would you want to? Right. No, no. I mean, I'm sure the groundwater, you know? everything's contaminated right. there. So it's just not something we would want to mess with. Right. So obviously that was a that was something that potential you know red flag that we tried that we avoided. But things like that can come up. But it's just important to kind of do that research phase. Then we actually close on the property and then we list it with an agent to resell the property. So I know there are some people out there that talk about, you know, listing the property right away before you even close on it. That's not a good idea. And, and in fact, in most areas, you can't do that anymore because they require the agents that you're working with will require you to have the, the deed in your name before you can actually. Well, list but think property. about that. You don't want like some random person listing like that would create such havoc mm -hmm. because anybody could like list your house then. Right. Oh, well, I'm under contract to buy it. I'm going to yeah list it. Yeah. So I know it can be done in some areas, but. 
probably not best practice in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, and also it's, I think that's a, um, a disservice to the actual owner, mm-hmm. the person who still owns it. That's kind of just mm-hmm. crappy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're coming to them, you're giving them cash. You're, you're the convenience buyer for them. So in all these situations, it's best to close on it first before you then. No, well, it. I mean, in a practical sense that people would be walking on their prop, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. yeah. neighbors could, would be it, like, what's going on it, here? Yeah, it could, it could cause a lot of problems. I mean, you could, there's a way to do it where you were upfront with them and you said, Hey, here's what, here's exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe they would be fine with that, but. You know. Right. Um, all about transparency. Okay. Let's get to the, that was a great question from Sonia. Let's get another one from, I think it's Hina, Hina. I'm going to say, okay. sorry, I'm a horrible reader, I guess. Hi there. I'm a vacant land investor who focuses on buying and selling underdeveloped land and info lots located specifically in California. Can you just, what's an info lot? An info lot is basically an area that's already subdivided and it's a, you know, there could be a house here and a house there, and then there's a vacant lot in between it. That would be an infill lot. Right. I'm sure when you guys are out and about driving around, you'll be like, why is this one piece of, you know what I mean? Like all these houses will be built up and there'll be this one lot. Yes. Infill lot. Um, with my knowledge and expertise in the current housing and development market in California, I'm able to identify potential opportunities for profitable investments. My specialty lies in, in identifying and purchasing land in scenic locations throughout California. That's pretty cool. Um, where buyers can build their dream homes or use the property as a vacant a vacation retreat. Additionally, I often target properties located within an hour drive from major metropolitan cities, which offers the perfect balance between enjoying the beauty of the countryside and the convenience of city living. Overall, my experience and knowledge of the California real estate market, combined with my focus on scenic locations and proximity to major cities, allows me to help my clients make informed and successful land investment decisions. I like it. Yeah. No, that all sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, what it comes down to, California can be a great market for for buying and selling land. We don't do uh, much here, even though we live here. Uh, mm-hmm. We've just kind of taken, we don't do as much infill lots. We do mostly rural, uh, larger properties. But a lot of people make a lot of money with the infill lots, especially in California. So I would say, you know, I don't know that, uh, I don't know what the question was in there. There's but, not one. Oh, there wasn't a question. Okay. But my, if you're looking for my comments on all mm-hmm. that, it would be that it's the same as anything else. You know, you want to ter- uh, be really uh, diligent about finding out what that market value is for that property and make sure you're buying it at a heavy discount. So then you can put it on the market at a discounted price discount, and then yeah. resell it quickly. <laughs> right. Um, a couple of things that she focuses on here that are very they're good for any market is I like that whole idea of people who want to get away house, but they don't want to go too far. And that's popular here in Southern California. You'll have a house. Um, actually, it, the crazy thing is you'll have people have house inland, like 15 minutes inland, and then they'll have a beach house. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. We see that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it, growing up in Newport, there was the same kind of thing. Like people would be like, oh, yeah, we're going down to the beach. I was like, oh, where? And they're like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and then also people here will have a house in like Julian or Big Bear or something. So it's like an hour to two or so hours away. So that's very common, but we're lucky because we have these different seasons or different, not seasons. Right. But so you could be you know, 70 and sunny down mm-hmm. here at the beach and then Surfing you could, and then, yeah. And then you could go up in the mountains and there's snow and skiing. Right. So. Two hours later or, mm-hmm. or not even. So in California, that's very common thing, but I think even on the East coast to some extent, I'm sure that people in like New York city or New York would go into the, is it the Catskills? I don't know what's up there, but yeah. um, so I think you could look at your, if you wanted to stay in your local area, even if it's like a high cost of living area, you could do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think she said, did she say something about views and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she looks to buy nice properties. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so cool. I, I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. You know? And the other thing that you can take away from that is the whole focusing. Like mm-hmm. you said, oh, we do larger ones. Mm-hmm. 
And she's like, no, I focus on these. So find kind of your niche that's fun and exciting. And I, I bet she's laser focused on that. Okay. Joshua says, um, multiple BPOs, question mark, BPOs, boy. I haven't heard that in like a long time. Okay. Hello. I have heard that it is important to get two BPOs in order to home in on price certainty. I have never gotten two before. Instead, I always just get one and list with the agent that gives me a BPO. Does anyone have experience getting multiple BPOs? What's your approach? How do you compensate the agent that doesn't ultimately get the listing? Thanks. Can I take a little bit of this real quick? Because I can't control myself. First of all, BPO is a broker price opinion, but it doesn't mean that a broker is going to do it. I used to do BPOs and Hmm. I was an agent. So, and I don't think in this context, he actually means um, BPOs in the sense of normally it's like a lender trying to value. Although in in this sense, he's an owner. He's looking for a price opinion, which you get from an agent. Kind of like if you're listing your regular house, right? But he's wondering like, okay, you have your go-to agent and they get it. Mm -hmm. And see if you agree with me on this, but he's saying, I was told I should get multiple. I think once you find the agent that you really like, you don't need to worry about two of them. If they have a track record, you're just spinning wheels. And I think the other thing too, is he could probably set up an account at one of those exchanges um, I can't even remember names of them, but they're out there that do BPOs. He could be like, he could submit like back in the day, you used to do it for small lenders all the mm-hmm. time too through right. that. But it seems like a waste of money. So what would you do? Oh, did I already, I said what it is. Yeah. Are you looking for funding for your land flipping deal? Then head on over to partnerwithpete.com. It's an innovative new funding program where we split the profits with you 50-50, but we take it one step further and we handle every other step of the process in the land flipping business. Yes, that means we handle all the due diligence. If the property needs any value add like clearing brush, perk test, survey, we'll get that paid for up front. Then when the property resells, We split the profits 50-50. There is absolutely no downside for you as an investor. If we lose money, we don't pass that on to you. But when we make money, when we make profit, we split the proceeds 50-50. So as a recap, we handle every part of the process. We split the profits with you 50-50. There's no downside for you as the investor, only upside. So go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and we'll get it checked out within 24 hours. Yeah, you know, I I agree with you completely. You know, when you find a really good agent in a particular area whose opinion you trust, one opinion is enough. Now, obviously, you know, especially when in areas where there are comps are tough or something like that. It's like a weird prop, not weird in a bad way, but it's kind of just his opinion. I mean, it's his guess, and you don't really know until you put something on the market. But I wouldn't be racing around trying to get a second broker opinion on, on a property, you know, in, in an area where I've got someone I'm trusting. Now, if I'm still trying to find my agent, I might be talking to a couple different ones and say, hey, I've got this property under contract. What do you think? And just kind of use that as part of the process to kind of vet them. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't, you know, I, generally I'm, I'm working with one agent in a particular area. I'm not trying to get another agent to give an opinion and second guess that because honestly, you're just going to start confusing yourself. Um, so it's better to just it's just a better to get one person that's really your go-to in a particular area and then go with that. And then obviously you'll be giving your own opinion as well. You'll be looking at the comps and you'll be giving your best guess of what you think the property will go for. Yeah, this goes back to having the best, the right agent for you because a lot of agents will still, they'll say, oh, you got um, a valuation from this other agent for this much. I can get you X amount more right. <laughs> just because they want the deal. But then they know I'm going to get them to reduce it. It right. won't sell, but because get it, it's securing the listing is the that's is the, the, big that's thing. the game yeah and you know the funny thing too is that when we were doing you know BPOs and stuff in in the context of short sales and bank owned properties we would get where we were asked to do second opinions and so you looked at their work a lot of times and you're like uh, this is like this is terrible right it's like <laughs> wait a minute like this is not they're they're quoting a, a town that's 
not even close or they're completely forgetting that this property has 10 times the land mm-hmm. or this is a completely different. So that's why having an agent that understands the area is so important. Now, when we were like, we would do BPOs and it'd be a big truck in like Riverside County mm-hmm. and every single house was exactly the same. It's super easy to do those. Yes. Right. I mean, you've got like four of them that are the same and then someone, and, but a homeowner would be like, yes, but I did X amount. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like it, in the most part, like they're saying, Oh, if you do a kitchen remodel, it makes it more valuable. I guess, but the reality is that most people, especially investors or people that aren't looking for it to live in their house, they're not going to see the different kitchen. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, why am I going to pay X amount more than Joe whose house is the same? Yeah. So, but this, so if you're talking about land specifically, unless there's exact, like a lineup of them and they are the exact same at every single, you need a good agent to be able to differentiate. Right. Yeah. Okay. So stick with one. Just find a good good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Saiva, Siva, um, I guess I'm just going to say every name every which way because <laughs> I suck, but um, seasonality in selling and buying of land. Oh, that's a good one. I'm, I'm dipping my toes in land flipping after some experience in single family development. I want to understand the seasonality of the business on both the acquisition and the disposition side. In houses, we get better deals to buy in the winter months and are able to sell more easily in the spring and fall months. Is that the same with land? Go ahead. I okay. have my opinions, oh, okay. but I was going to, I think I'm going to let you go. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that with houses because- I always found that, you know, like the wintertime, you know, especially December, that's when we got our best deals. Right. Cause like, no one wants to like be, unless you have to sell. Right. I'm not going to like pack up my kids during the holidays and be like, yeah. And the other investors were doing Christmas stuff and holiday things. Right. And, you know, I was working hard right. and getting all the deals. Mm-hmm. But, and yes, spring and summer are always the easiest time to sell residential homes. But the land business doesn't seem to be that way. Um, Except in one way. Like, well, it, yes. You're going to uh, get to that. Yeah, Go I'm going to get to that. If you'd let me talk. I won't let you talk. <laughs> okay. You should know that by now, but uh, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's that general kind of, uh, you know, easier to sell in the spring, you know, that, that type of thing. But if you are operating in a climate where it's cold, I mean, like really cold and snow and things like that. They Not kind California of, those cold. Mar- yeah, those <laughs> markets kind of go dormant over the winter. I mean, you, you could still sell stuff, but it's a lot harder if you're going to be in North Dakota in the middle of the winter selling a property. It's just like there's not buyers out walking around. Like, well, and I wonder if they can land. even see it. Like if there's huh? like 10 feet of snow, no, how are you going to know what you're, you, you know what I mean? You can't see it. So that, unless they're familiar with the property already, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough to actually make those deals happen. So what I would do and what I've always done is focus my efforts in kind of that those areas where it's not covered in snow, you know, the, the, uh, the whole winter time. But, and if I am going to market to some of those really colder cli- climates, I will wait till kind of coming out of the winter time in order to start sending, sending out the mail to those areas because it takes a, you know, two, three months for some of the, that mail to actually turn into closed deals. And then once you close them, then you'll be in the good months to actually start marketing. Right. And we want to be able to see it too. Right. So if it's covered in snow. Yes. And, you know, we get that. That happens mm-hmm. sometimes. You know, we get, you know, the photos back and it's all snow there. And we're like, okay, well. That was helpful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I know. And you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be mar- using those marketing photos in the springtime when everyone's mm-hmm. sick of snow. You know, they want to. <laughs> yeah. And some of the photographers will be like, hey, we're expecting you know, a massive rainstorm in three days, I can mm-hmm. either go right now or, mm-hmm. you know, are you cool if I wait an extra two days? Right. And it's like, because you're also, that's another point. Maybe we've probably talked about that, but these are multi-use. Like it's, you're getting these pictures so that you can see it, but then also a lot of times you can use them to market the property. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, we want to see what the property is all about, but then we want to use those properties, th- those photos and videos for marketing purposes. 
Right. That makes sense. Dual use. Um, so the answer is it depends on the location. Right. Just be, yeah, be concerned mm-hmm. about the cold areas marketing to them coming into the winter. Right. So trying to buy those properties coming into the winter. That's what I would be concerned with. Okay. That's cool. Um, we have a couple, let's see here. I think that was the last question. Um, okay. I wanted to, this was like funny, something popped in my head earlier today, but I know that so many people talk about, um, fire, like fire. What is it? Financial independence, retire retire early. early. Yeah. And I realized that like, that's not what we are. We are EFI. 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 We are earlier financial independence proponents. So that's our whole thing. Okay. And I think that that's like kind of- Did you make that up or is that a real thing? I think I made it up. Okay. But if it's out there, like tell me- EFI. EFI. We need to trademark that right now. EFI. Uh But I I also like to call it EFI. Okay. All right. EFI. I say again. Better than FU. FU. That's that's really <laughs> bad joke that you would say that I would never use that kind <laughs> okay. of language. But I think that that's what the whole like we like doing this. This is fun, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of people I think feel that pressure that they have to like retire early. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's missing it. I think that it's about the financial independence that making money in unconventional ways brings. Mm-hmm. Like not everyone's doing this. Everyone could do it, but not everyone's doing it right for whatever reason. That's cool. That's what. If it was easy, everyone would do it. If everyone knew about it, everyone would do it, all that kind of stuff. So maybe if you're trying to like rectify this in your brain, how does this work into your life? This sounds exciting too. It's fun. Um, You want to do this, like, but what's your like kind of goal? Is it just to make extra spending money? Or I think that the the bigger picture is that it can be for EFI. Early financial independence. I like it, Heather. Earlier. Earlier. Because I don't want to put any pressure on anybody. Okay. It's not about early. Okay. Like, because Early to you could be 25 or it could be, you know, someone who was going to retire at 70, it could be 62 or it could be 50 or it could be 55. It's earlier. So it helps you bring up your goals or your goal earlier. And then once you're financially independent, keep going and do it. Maybe then all your money goes towards charity or, or funding. And you can do it in a way that's pressure free. Exactly. That's exactly it. There's no end goal here. Like with fire, it's like, um, I think these overlap a lot. A lot of people who are in that fire movement see this as a great thing to do. I think it's because they have that certain drive. Like it's something, if you're in, if you're looking for that to retire early, you're really just looking for something that's outside the norm. You don't want to have that nine to five grind and someone telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so when is this earlier financial independence uh, that you're talking about? Like when, like, would you feel like you would be financially independent. Like, like a number? Well, Or I like guess. a time or what? Mm, I don't know. See, that's the other thing. It's like, I don't I guess have- you have to define that, huh? Right. Like you need to know what your number is. I think that's what like the whole fire thing is that they, it's a number. not And then they do projections. Like I should be able to hit my fire number at this age. Whereas I think for me, it's a feeling, which is the wrong way to go about it. Most people can't do that because they need to have that like marker. For me, it's like, I will know when I hit it. Like, okay, we're done. We could whatever. I mean, theoretically, we could retire right now. Mm-hmm. Not at the lifestyle we want. Mm-hmm. You know, that would not work. And we still have, our kids are like huge age differences too. So we have a 22 to 13. If we just had a 22 and a 20 year old, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's that's also kind of out there. And especially living in California, I don't, even if our 13 year old says she's moving out right when she turns 18, I wish her well. Where's she going to live? yeah she won't have fun with the rent you know or (laughs) i hope you're saving up but she wouldn't know so i i think that it's a but a lot of people maybe that's a good thing have a number that i would feel good at this point so you can at least say okay now everything i'm doing is gravy and maybe that would make it even funner Mm -hmm. more fun 
Yeah, yeah, especially if you like gravy. Right, exactly. So EY, what what is it? EFI. EFI to you all. Okay. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. We've talked about a lot of different things today. I know. And remember to, if you if you haven't yet, click that link below this video or go to turningprofit.com and join our community. And we hope to see you there. Yep. See you next All right. Week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're ready to start turning profit yourself, visit our website at turningprofit.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. See you on the next episode.